Vancouver, British Columbia, the home of Jody Wilson-Raybould, Canada's first Indigenous Attorney General. It's her story that brought us to the West Coast. Over the past two months, Jody Wilson-Raybould's refusal to cave to alleged political interference in the justice system has dominated the headlines. Wilson-Raybould was a rising star in Trudeau's cabinet, but now she sits outside caucus, kicked out by the Prime Minister himself, after she pushed back against alleged pressure to use a deferred prosecution agreement to help SNC-Lavalin get a deal in a high-profile criminal case. In January, Wilson-Raybould was demoted to Veterans Affairs, which she says is because she would not intervene. Since then, she's quit cabinet and promised to tell her truth. In late February, she appeared before the Justice Committee and did just that. Since the story broke on February 7th, two high-profile resignations in the Trudeau government. Principal Secretary Gerald Butts resigned and so has the Clerk of the Privy Council. The Liberals shut down further hearings at the Justice Committee, but that didn't stop Wilson-Raybould, who submitted further evidence, including this now notorious recorded call with the Clerk of the Privy Council. Because I think he feels the government has to have done everything it can before we lose 9,000 jobs in a signature Canadian firm. Right. So, um, I'm again, I'm, I'm confident in where I've, I'm at and my views on SNC and the, the DPA haven't changed. This is um, a constitutional principle of prosecutorial independence that Michael, I have to say, including this conversation, previous conversations that I've had with the Prime Minister and many other people around it, it's entirely inappropriate and it is political interference. Days later, the Prime Minister acted. Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philbot, Philpott are no longer members of the Liberal Caucus. Good morning, it's Sunday, April 7th. I'm Mercedes Stevenson and this is the West Block. For eight weeks, political bombshell after political bombshell have dropped in the SNC-Lavalin scandal. And at the centre of it all, former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould. She's from right here in Vancouver and the reason we're on the West Coast, to sit down with the MP from Vancouver Granville and get her side of the story. Here's that conversation. Obviously, an incredible and very difficult experience, I would think, to go through. You got into politics, you said, in large part because of the Liberal Party. Justin Trudeau, wanting to make a difference. After working with the Prime Minister for the past three years and after this continued incident, what kind of leader do you think he is? Well, I, um, I got into politics, as you say, because uh, the then leader asked me to get involved. Um, for me, getting involved in um, federal politics was a big decision. I had been an Indigenous leader in various capacities for about 10 years and um, at that point in time was frustrated with advancement around Indigenous issues and it was around that time that I met uh, the current Prime Minister and, and we shared um, our vision for the country, we talked about the values of the Liberal Party, values around equality and inclusion and what we saw in terms of moving forward on issues around the environment and climate change and doing politics differently. I still, as I said to my caucus colleagues earlier this week, I still believe that the Prime Minister feels the same way about that vision and, and those values. Um, I'm not going to lie, it's been a, a difficult week for sure. Um, it's been a, a difficult couple of months. Has your opinion about his leadership changed? 
Well, I, I wish the, the Prime Minister and the government uh, continued success in accomplishing so many of the things that we were elected for in 2015. Um, I do, as a result of this situation um, around discussions on SNC and prosecutorial independence and, and political interference, I wish that the Prime Minister would have uh, stepped up and taken some responsibility, and, and I do wish that he would have um, um, apologized to Canadians and ensured in various ways that something like this um, would never happen again. If he had apologized, would you still be the Minister of Veterans Affairs? Well, I, and it's a hard question for me to answer. I was never asking for an apology to me personally. I feel that um, this situation arose because there was um, political interference or attempts at it in terms of my doing my job as the Attorney General. Um, I talked about what transpired and, and spoke the truth. Um, I wish that um, the, the Prime Minister would have looked at the evidence and um, listened to me um, and others. and again, taken, taken some responsibility and, and um, I feel that um, through the acknowledgement of truth and through speaking truth that there is always a measure of reconciliation that could come. So in that sense, I'm disappointed. There are people who think your goal was to take down the Prime Minister, to take down Justin Trudeau. Was that your end game? I, I didn't have an end game. I, I don't have an end game. I was, as the Minister of Justice, and in this case the Attorney General, I was just doing my job and working hard to do a good job at it. Um, I consistently wanted to ensure that um, I spoke about what happened, um, that I raised the concerns that I had about actions that individuals were taking around um, this issue, around uh, deferred prosecution agreement and around SNC and, and wanted to, to ensure that I maintained um, the clear line between um, the prosecutor, myself as the Attorney General, and maintained that independence. And that was what um, I was doing throughout this period of time and what I would do again. Do you think the Prime Minister knew how much pressure you were facing? I, I mean, that'd be a question that you'd, you'd have to ask the Prime Minister. I did, I did raise um, my concerns around political interference with the Prime Minister back in the middle of September. I had, as is contained in my evidence, um, conversations with many people uh, around the Prime Minister up to and including the December 19th meeting that I had with the Clerk of the Privy Council, where I clearly laid out the concerns that I had where I addressed the inappropriate nature of the conversations uh, that I was, um, or the, the words that I was hearing from um, those individuals. And I would be very surprised if the Prime Minister didn't uh, know about those conversations. I think people wonder, if you're to the point of taping the call with the clerk, mm. why not just pick up the phone and call the Prime Minister and tell him, look, this is inappropriate and it needs to stop? Well, because I, um, I was the Attorney General. It was my job to ensure the independence of the justice system and I was doing that job. I, um, I would have uh, 
uh, I didn't necessarily have a direct line to the Prime Minister in terms of being able to pick up the phone and uh, talk directly to him. Was Jerry uh, Butts between you and the Prime Minister? I had, an opp I had um, the opportunity to call Jerry um, on numerous occasions, um, but when I was talking with the, the clerk on December the 19th, I was speaking um, with the Prime Minister because the clerk was invoking the Prime Minister in our conversation that we had. But to be clear, I was the, the Attorney General and I was the decision maker in terms of whether or not I was going to an issue directive in terms of a prosecution. I had made uh, the decision not to take any action but to uphold um, the decision of the Director of Public Prosecutions and as the Attorney General I am not uh, accountable to anyone necessarily or not didn't have to report that decision um, to anyone. Your former cabinet colleagues have said, look, there's pressure in every job in cabinet. This is normal. Mm. What do you say to them? And when do you think the line was crossed between appropriate pressure and discussion and debate over a policy issue into inappropriate pressure on the attorney general? Well, I, I have to say, first of all, I, I gave extensive evidence, as most everybody knows, in terms of, of um, the attempts at political interference and, and pressure in my testimony to the Justice and Human Rights Committee, and I, I believe that evidence speaks for itself. Um, in terms of pressure, of course, all ministers of the Crown face uh, pressure every day. They're hugely um, important positions. Uh, that individuals hold and the responsibilities that they have to address issues and to um, work with and engage with Canadians on those issues um, uh, can be very, um, it is very important and it can uh, invoke pressure on individuals. But the difference was that I was the Attorney General of Canada. It's very different from other ministerial positions. So to equate pressure for um, individual ministers um, to equal the pressure put on an attorney general as being the same thing as an inappropriate comparison. When did you realize that the government was intent on getting a DPA? Well, I, I was, and I have to be careful here because there is a waiver and I respect the, the order in council and the waiver around talking about this issue outside of the Justice Committee or um, other um, ethics um, commissioner um, studies, but um, there was, as I stated, um, for three and a half months, a sustained period of conversations and pressure and attempts to um, have me change my mind on SNC and on a deferred prosecution agreement and to interfere in a prosecution. Why do you believe the government wanted this so badly? Well, that's a, that's a question that would be better answered by other individuals. For me, in my role as the Attorney General, it's not necessarily a question about a particular company um, or um, whether or not a particular company um, has done something or not. Or but they raised the issue of elections with you. Is your sense that, and you testified to this, you talked about it being partisan political purposes, that there was something there mm -hmm. that went beyond the jobs they have publicly argued it was for. There, there was. I mean, as I said in my testimony, it, it's, 
it was okay for an individual minister or somebody to raise the potential of job losses. Of course, that's a consideration. But when it is brought up continuously over the course of three, three and a half months, um, when I, as the Attorney General, had taken um, in the Section 13 note from the Director of Public Prosecutions who decided not to offer um, the company um, the opportunity to negotiate a deferred prosecution agreement. Um, I reviewed that, I did my due diligence and decided it was inappropriate for me to interfere. And I believe fundamentally the issue here is about the independence of the prosecutor and the independence of our justice system. And as the Attorney General, it's my obligation to uphold that. The government says this is a legal option. It exists under the law. We weren't asking her to break the law. We weren't asking her to do anything immoral. So why were you not willing to intervene in this case if the law does allow you to, in fact, direct the director of public prosecutions? Well, the law um, has been in place for 12 uh, years plus. Uh, that enables an attorney general to issue directives or to take over a prosecution. I was fully aware of my authorities under the, um, the Director of Public Prosecutions Act. Um, I, as the attorney general, would receive Section 13 uh, notices, which is a note that, a that the director sends to you um, around prosecutions of general interest. In this case, she sent me one and I reviewed it carefully, um, conducted um, some of my own due diligence, and decided that this was not an appropriate case to override or to issue a directive with respect to this particular prosecution, and I was um, upholding the independence of the Director of Public Prosecution's discretion. Do you think that the integrity of the justice system is at risk? Because that's something the opposition have said, that there was pressure on you to intervene. There was the leak about the Supreme Court justice. There's been questions raised about whether there's political interference in the case of Vice Admiral Mark Norman. Uh, and they're saying the government is actually putting the independence and the integrity of the justice system at risk. Do you think that's the case? Well, I, I hope that that is not the case. It's certainly, um, I look to the current Attorney General to do the job that uh, I was doing when I was the Attorney General to ensure that the justice system remains intact, that the independence of the justice system is um, solid. That's what I was doing. Uh, that was my job when I was the Attorney General. And in this case and all other cases, that's the job that I'll continue to do to ensure that there is no inappropriate pressure, there's no inappropriate political interference or partisan considerations when it comes to a prosecution. That is um, a fundamental tenet of our democracy to ensure independence of the prosecution um, to uphold the rule of law. That's what I was doing. And um, when I was the Attorney General, and I'm sure under the new Attorney General, that the independence of the justice system um, is maintained. It is paramount to our democracy. There was anonymous leaks that you had put conditions in place, that you had demanded mm. an apology, that you wanted certain people fired, uh, and that you had demanded that the new Attorney General not issue a deferred prosecution agreement. Is there any truth to that? Well, I have to say that um, I do not respond to anonymous leaks and 
those tactics seem to be in play for quite some time now. Um, but what I, I will say, um, first and foremost, is uh, I've gone through the country, more importantly, has gone through this discussion for the past two months. For three and a half months as the Attorney General, I sought to protect the independence of the prosecutor from any political interference. Um, I would, I have never, and I would never interfere with the independence of the prosecutor, and I certainly would interfere with a decision of an Attorney General. So um, that is absolutely false. Um, in terms of um, conditions, I had several conversations, which I won't get into because I actually uphold the confidences that I have as being pretty sacred, and anonymous sources seem to be trampling all over confidences or discussions that I may or may not have had with the Prime Minister. Um, those discussions um, on a high level was he and I talking and my wanting um, to s tell him the truth of what happened or continue to tell him that and to look for some way that we could find some resolution to this, to look for a way where there would be an acknowledgement of some responsibility in this matter, some wrongdoing, and look for ways and means where we could remedy that. And I think um, if that were have happened, um, um, some time ago and there was some apology to Canadians, um, this situation would have gotten to where it is right now. And there was no sense that he was willing to acknowledge any of that? Well, I think, again, I can't, I'm not going to talk about what he said or didn't say to me or what we talked about, um, but the past um, number of months have been pretty perplexing to me in terms of different narratives that have come out. You mentioned earlier uh, discussions that came into the public for, um, into the media around the Supreme Court justices. These are really concerning discussions and um, not to legitimize any of them or their truth um, are dangerous conversations to have about really important um, decisions that governments have to make, really important decisions and recommendations that an Attorney General provides to the Prime Minister. These discussions are confidential for a reason and the breakdown of confidentiality uh, undermines um, the confidence, uh, potentially could undermine the confidence that um, individuals, Canadians have in the justice system, in the independence of the prosecutor, and we have to ensure that we do everything we can not to um, breach confidences, which is why I'm so um, diligent and I'm not wanting to seem evasive, but not wanting to get into discussions that I deem to be confidential. Given that you won't get into those discussions, the Prime Minister won't get into those discussions, there's sort of this black box where Canadians can't see what actually happened. Do you think there's a place for an RCMP investigation or a public inquiry so that Canadians can get answers to these questions? Well, I, I, I'm not the decider of whether or not there's an, an RCM police investigation. Um, as I said in my evidence to the Justice Committee, I've provided all of the material information that I have um, during the time that I was the Attorney General of Canada. Um, the issue that has been raised throughout all of this is leaving aside all of the spin, 
all the hyperbole, leaving aside people experience things differently or erosions of trust. The core issue here uh, is the necessity to ensure that we have an independent prosecutor and that we uphold the rule of law. That is the job that I was doing and I think if anything comes out of this, I appreciate the fact that Canadians are having conversations about what the legitimate role of a prosecutor is and why a prosecutor has to have independence free of any political interference. Um, so in terms of the issue and my involvement in this matter, I've presented all of my evidence in that regard. Finally hearing your side of the story in depth, outside of the committee, outside of you being scrummed, going in and out of the House of Commons, one of the things that you faced in this has been criticism from other women, former cabinet colleagues, um, other liberals like Sheila Copps. Um, some of those comments have said you're difficult to work with. Some have been overtly racist. Some have been critical of the job you've done as Attorney General. What was it like to deal with that criticism from other liberal women? Well, I, I always say that I um, shouldn't be surprised about anything anymore, but I continuously am surprised about a lot of things. Um, I, look, I, I was a politician before I got here um, into federal politics. Um, I believe I understand um, the nature of politics, although I come from a very different political world. Um, the, the smear campaign, the criticisms, the saying that I was not competent to do my job, um, I wouldn't say it hurt, but it was entirely inappropriate. I mean, if there's somebody has a, um, a criticism of me, I would appreciate somebody talking to me about that. I had um, not heard most of these criticisms before any of this happened. Um, I'm a person that's pretty upfront and entirely honest and um, would expect people to do what I do for other people and have direct conversations with them. Um, that hasn't changed about me. I think I'm pretty upfront and open with who I am. And I just find um, those types of criticisms um, in this case misplaced. And if people had concerns about me, those concerns could have been raised all along. Um, I'm not sure with the intent that what those individuals have towards me. But um, in, in my job, in the job that I did, um, I'm incredibly proud of the work that we did um, well, as government in the past three and a half years, as the Minister of Justice and the Attorney General, the work that we did to accomplish the, the um, important issues in, in my mandate letter. Uh, and I, I loved being the Minister of Veterans Affairs. There's um, so many important things to do in that role. Um, to be a member of, of a party, um, to talk about teamwork and to talk about loyalty and solidarity. I uphold those things incredibly high. Um, for me, I was surprised that when I um, spoke about something that was happening, when I stood up for what I believed was right, and when I spoke the truth about what was happening, um, the response that came to me, all those negative responses, uh, it surprised me. And I do not believe that speaking one's truth or um, being honest and, and doing the right thing um, should be pushed aside for political expediency. 
um, or um, be deemed to not be loyal. So um, that may be not what politicians necessarily do, but that's who I am and who I always have been. And um, if being honest and, and doing the right thing costs one politically, then that is the, um, the reality that um, maybe I'm confronting right now. We've heard there was a breakdown in trust. There was miscommunications. Maybe she experienced things differently. Those are words and phrases that a lot of professional women have come across, kind of like calling somebody bossy. Mm. Do you question the claim that the Prime Minister and his government are feminists after some of the rhetoric that's been used against you? Well, I, I try to sift through a lot of the rhetoric. I, I try not to, even though I catch myself sometimes, look at social media and look at all these different outlets in this world that we live in right now where information flies around so quickly. We are truly living in a different world in that sense. Um, in terms of um, feminism, in terms of the, whether or not the Prime Minister is one, I, that's a question that you have to ask him. But do you think he is? I think that the Prime Minister and our government, um, while the government has done many important things in terms of holding up gender equality, in terms of um, both domestically and throughout the world, talking about the importance of gender equality, supporting um, young women, um, reproductive rights, upholding um, charter rights. So I don't take any of that away from um, the government. Um, for me, and I mentioned this in, in some of my written submissions to the Justice Committee, um, I think it's unfortunate when somebody um, stands up for what they believe is right. Um, stands up and talks about a situation and tries to remedy that situation um, simply because it's not um, something that was expected or something that people don't want to talk about or um, don't want to admit wrongdoing around um, is not a reason to not do it and to not speak your truth. And we're in this situation because I believe um, people didn't necessarily want me to do that. Does it sound like you think that Justin Trudeau is a feminist? I didn't say that. I, I think that the Prime Minister, I hope the Prime Minister, is um, reflective of, of what's happened. I do not believe um, there's any place in this country for misogyny, for any type of um, racism. Um, I'm a proud Indigenous woman that works incredibly hard that um, believes in this country, believes in the values that are espoused by the Liberal Party, having never been a member of a Liberal Party or a party, political party until now. I believe in equality, I believe in justice, I believe in inclusion. That's what I'm gonna continue to ensure that I work towards as the proud member of, of Parliament for Vancouver Granville, the riding that we're sitting in right now. Um, those are things that I believe, and as I said in my letter, I, I believe the Prime Minister still holds those values um, uh, fundamental. I hope he does. Um, I hope that everybody can learn from this experience and that we can move forward and, and talk about the issues that are important to people in my riding um, around affordability, around climate change, around pipelines, around um, something that's near and dear to my heart, around Indigenous reconciliation. 
Well, and speaking of reconciliation, some mm -hmm. Indigenous leaders have come out and said that what's happened, and in light of the video that came out of Grassy Narrows as well, and, and the way the Prime Minister treated that protester, is raised questions in their mind about whether or not the Prime Minister and the government are committed to reconciliation. Do you believe they are? Well, I, the government has taken and made a lot of significant steps in terms of, of reconciliation, in terms of investing in Indigenous communities um, to work hard at closing the gap in terms of education, health, um, addressing suicide and boiled water advisories. I don't take any of that away from the work that, that the government is, has done and continues to do. Um, I believe that uh, the events of the last number of months have called into question for some Indigenous leaders. Um, um, the government in terms of some of its commitments to reconciliation. For me, when I was a minister and now as a member of parliament, I believe fundamentally in transformative um, reconciliation with indigenous peoples and looking towards recognition of rights. That's where I think that uh, this government needs to work um, incredibly hard um, to make movement there, to create the foundation for that transformative change in indigenous communities to ensure that they can close the gaps. Um, so there's more work to be done. Um, the, the Grassy Narrows um, video um, I know was shocking to, to many people, uh, was shocking to me, but I have to recognize and acknowledge that the Prime Minister did apologize for that. When you look at this as an Indigenous woman and how it's unfolded, how do you think young Indigenous women at home, watching what happened to you, will consider their future in politics? Do you think it's going to drive them away from it? I think it's actually quite the opposite, and I haven't talked to, I've talked to a number of, of young Indigenous women um, as recently as when the Daughters of the Vote was in, Van in uh, Ottawa. Um, from their perspective, the ones that I've talked to, people feel, um, maybe disappointed, maybe wondering if there is a place for them, but mostly feel, and what they've reflected to me, is that they feel empowered that um, in spite of what has happened to me and being ejected out of the Liberal caucus, um, that my voice still matters. I believe my voice uh, is still incredibly important. Um, we're only going to solve um, the really important issues that confront our country if we have a diversity of views. That's what I believe the Liberal Party um, uh, stood for and stands for. That's why hundreds of thousands of people got involved in 2015 to do politics differently. And the only way we can do politics differently is if we ensure that we create the space for a young Indigenous woman that lives uh, here in Vancouver or somewhere across the country um, to have a voice and that their voice is, is valued. Um, so I think we can take some lessons from what has happened over the last number of months um, and turn back to a place where we continue to do politics differently and, and enable people to speak their truth and, and have their voices heard and develop public policy that actually is transformative. I have to ask you about the tape. Mm. Why did you make the tape of Michael Warnick? Why didn't you tell him he was being taped? Well, I, 
I talked, I talked about this in, in my submission to the Justice Committee. I had, as had my staff, um, gone through approximately three and a half months of a sustained um, effort uh, to politically interfere in a prosecution. I had um, a high level of anxiety in the middle of December um, when um, my chief of staff talked about a conversation, and this is in my evidence too, that she had with um, Jerry Butts and Katie Telford. And um, when the clerk called and wanted to have that conversation with me, I knew that there was a potential that there would be something inappropriate that happened during that conversation. I felt that I needed to protect myself to ensure that I had an accurate record of what was said on that call. Um, so I took the step of recording it. Um, it was never um, supposed to be public. It was an aid memoir for me to ensure I had accurate notes. In any other circumstance, as I said, it would be inappropriate. Um, but in that circumstance, in order to protect myself and to ensure um, that nothing inappropriate happened, I, uh, I recorded the tape. What do you say to your caucus mates or former caucus mates who say, this is proof you can't trust her. You don't know when she's recording things. She's an attorney. She's not supposed to record a call with her client. It's a breach of trust and it undermines her whole argument. Well, I mean, trust is, is a two-way street. Um, on the call particularly, um, the clerk, uh, again, um, in that situation, the clerk is not a member of the Liberal Party. The clerk is not a lawyer. Um, he himself said that there was no client relationship. Um, but when it comes to my caucus members, that's the first time and the only time that I've ever taped something, and that was in a particular circumstance. I have always um, sought to build trust relationships with uh, my caucus colleagues, with uh, my colleagues around the cabinet table. And again, trust is a, is a two-way street, and I um, would never undermine a trusted relationship. Were you surprised by how angry they were? Well, yeah, I was, I was surprised. I was surprised about some things that people said. Um, I mean, I will say I, I can understand. Um, um, people have different um, realities. People view politics differently. People are concerned about their positions as members of parliament. All of that I can, I think I can understand. Um, what surprised me was I was looking and trying to do, um, doing the right thing and speaking, as people say, my truth to power and um, wanting to have that truth heard and wanting to uh, protect uh, the justice system and to protect the government and the prime minister and the reaction surprised me. So, we're out here in your riding in BC. You're yes. contemplating your political future. What's next for Jody Wilson-Raybould? Well, I am still the Member of Parliament for this riding, and uh, I'm going to continue to work incredibly hard um, for the constituents here. We have lots of really important issues that um, we want to continue to bring to Ottawa around um, issues 
pipelines, climate change, affordability, housing, reconciliation. So I still have a role um, to play. Um, but in terms of like reflecting on where I'm going and next steps, I'm going to continue to talk with my husband and my family and my, all of our volunteers that have been so uh, um, hardworking and to the constituents and see what they want. And uh, um, I've been really fortunate to have uh, a large amount of support and I hope that continues. Well, I know other parties are very interested in having you. In fact, I got emails from Conservatives who had filled out membership cards and wanted to know where they could contact you so you could cross the floor to the Conservative <laughs> Party. Elizabeth May came out. She said she would welcome you and Jane Philpott in the Green Party. Is there a political future possibly in another party for you? Well, I, I wouldn't characterize myself as a floor crosser. I um, signed up for um, politics federally as a Liberal. I believe in again, the values and the principles uh, that the party espouses and the work that um, we can do. Um, having said that, I am not uh, necessarily a, a partisan. I believe that there are huge issues that need to be resolved by all parliamentarians, by all Canadians, and um, that means working with Conservatives, that means working with the Greens and, and the NDP, um, because all voices are important. I, I do not necessarily believe my ideology aligns um, with the Conservative Party of Canada. Um, I have had uh, Elizabeth May reach out to me. I think that she's uh, um, someone that I'm happy to talk to, but uh, for me, I'm, I'm uh, somewhat of an, an independent liberal working hard for the people of Vancouver Granville. Is there any part of you that thinks, what if I helped Andrew Scheer win the next election? I... I I don't see myself as helping Andrew Scheer win the next election. I did my job as a Minister of the Crown, as the Attorney General. I spoke my truth. I stood up for what was right and my belief in the institutions of our democracy and the necessary nature of those institutions remaining independent and upholding the rule of law. I did what I saw was the right thing to do, and I believe that uh, if politics ever overtakes the right thing to do, then then we've lost already. Mm. Can we switch? Sure. Go the other way. Yeah. You're good friends with Jane Philpott. Yeah. When she stepped down, a lot of people were surprised. What did you think when you saw that resignation letter from your friend? Well, I, I mean, of course, Jane and I, I deeply appreciate her friendship. Um, I, I thought that she was probably the best minister in our government. And she and I worked together on so many important files that uh, touched Canadians from coast to coast to coast, one of those being medical assistance and dying. Um, so I know um, through our friendship and through working together that Jane and I share similar outlooks and views. Um, she, of course, was privy to conversations with me about what was happening, um, but she has her own agency. She's her own person, and she made up her mind what she wanted to do based on her principles. I was sad to see Jane. I'm sad that Jane's not a cabinet minister anymore. I'm disappointed that I'm not a cabinet minister 
anymore um, because I um, was really pleased to participate for three and a half years and get some extraordinary things done. But having said that, there's lots of work that both she and I can do as members of Parliament and issues that we're passionate about. And we talked a little bit earlier about Indigenous reconciliation. That's one of the mm -hmm. main reasons I got involved in politics. And I believe that uh, every seat in the House of Commons uh, is important. And if we can look at um, those really important issues, but also how we make those decisions, how we do politics differently and, and having that fulsome discussion and maybe work towards some consensus-based decision-making, um, our, uh, our public policy would be all the better for it. And you've been very clear about how you feel on the Indian Act. And Jerry Butts got up and testified in front of the committee that you were offered that and, and you didn't seem interested in it. Why not? When you've talked about how you feel about the Indian Act and that was put towards you as if it was an offer on a silver platter, how did you feel? Well, I, I was very clear from day one uh, about who I am and what my passions are and what I was advocating for with respect to Indigenous peoples. And what I was very clear about is that I couldn't be um, the superintendent of indigenous peoples, of Indians under the Indian Act in this country um, because I could not minister to my own people. I am a strong advocate and I'll continue to be a strong advocate for creating the space for indigenous peoples in this country to transform and to be self-determining, to exercise their inherent rights. We're not there yet, um, but I am completely um, passionate um, to continue on the work and the advocacy that that I've done in my career up to this day and to build on, most importantly, the advocacy that Indigenous leaders have been uh, um, working towards and wanting to finally see their mirror in the constitution of our country and, and contribute towards the country for the better. Did you ever expect that this story would snowball in the way that it did? I, I could never have imagined being in this situation that I'm in right now. I certainly um, took great honour in being a Minister of the Crown. I take honour of being a Member of Parliament. Um, I want to continue um, to contribute and to be uh, in public service. That's how I was raised and I want to, if the people of Vancouver Granville want me to, to continue to serve them. And that's going to be a discussion that I have with my constituents and, and hopefully um, I can continue to fill my role. What message do you want to give to young women at home who are considering a career in politics? Um, I would say, and this is what my grandmother taught me when I was young and my parents, is that um, your voice is important. Every young person out there that wants to make a difference, that wants to get involved, that's passionate about a particular issue, um, to work really hard and to know that if you do work hard and you have a plan, then you can accomplish anything you want. That doesn't mean to say that there's not going to be bumps in the road or challenges or people who do not necessarily share your worldview, but my worldview involves community, involves truth, and it involves ensuring that everybody works together. And, and that may sound naive to some, but that is um, the reality that my people have lived under for um, uh, millennia. Thank you. Thank you. 
That's our show for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Mercedes Stevenson. Have a great week.